So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. This morning we're going to begin in verse 29. Over the past uh, couple of chapters that we've uh, looked at in uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been teaching us some pretty challenging truths. He's been laying out that radically different uh, value system, if you will, uh, that's lived out in the kingdom of, of God or the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's, it's a way of life for those uh, who have their hearts that have been conquered by the Lord Jesus and, and are now living in a, in a new way. And so it's truths like the, the first will be last. And the last will be first. Radically different from uh, the ways of this world and the ways uh, that our hearts naturally are inclined. And as you may recall, as uh, Jesus has been teaching these things, uh, the, the disciples and He have been traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And it's this final trip that He's making before uh, he will be unjustly taken and, and tried and crucified. And today's passage is going to be Jesus' final encounter uh, before He reaches Jerusalem. Uh, and it's also going to be, by the way, our, our last passage we're going to look at in Matthew's Gospel uh, for, uh, for some time. We're going to take a, a, a bit of a break and later we'll come back and cover chapters 21 through the end of the gospel. Uh, but in this passage, it's a short passage, and uh, this encounter that Jesus has comes in the form of a, a healing that he performs. And it's going to be a different type of message than we've seen over the past couple of chapters. For one, it's going to be performed in front of a, a large crowd of, of people. You can imagine... Uh, as he and the disciples have been going along uh, the road, traveling to Jerusalem, they're now not too far out. They're passing Jericho. Uh, it's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, but there are many others who are going to the Feast of the Passover. And so they would be on the road there uh, with them. And so Jesus is there. And so there, there's, there's a crowd that's gathered around him. Uh, and these, many of these may be the same ones that witness his crucifixion uh, when uh, it takes place uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, but through this healing, Jesus is going to communicate to us a fundamental gospel truth. And it's one that we all need to be reminded of again and again and again. Uh, and it, it's really stated in these words out of uh, John's Gospel, Jesus' words, when he said, I am the light of this world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That, at the heart of it, is this doctrine that we're looking at, this truth. Now, you can allow this passage as we look at it uh, in the context of this healing, you can allow it to comfort you. Uh, on the other hand, it may need to challenge you to ask the question, is this the light that illuminates my path day after day? 
So again, uh, Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to read verse uh, 29 through the end of the chapter. Verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, they being Jesus and His disciples, a great crowd followed Him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for these, these words here that are representative of much of what we see really at the heart of your word, echoing all the way through. Yet here we see them in the context of this, this healing by the Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, and we pray that you will help us to recognize these things, help us uh, to be able to, to, to see and to understand that which has come over the world and that which we all need, that which every person upon the earth needs, but help us to see it for ourselves no matter where we are uh, in our journey and our uh, relationship with you. We do pray for help this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the wonderful things about God's Word is its unity. It's how it all holds together, how it all coheres and gives us one message uh, in the, the family Sunday, Sunday school class as we've been gathered together and going through the Westminster Confession uh, a, a few weeks ago. Uh, we looked at what the, those who wrote the Confession said about Scripture, and here's one of the things that they spoke about. They spoke about the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, and the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation. In other words, there's one story all the way through, from beginning to end, from Genesis chapter 1, Revelation 22, there's one story, and it all holds together. And fundamental to that story is this, I'm going to call it metaphorical darkness that has fallen upon the world, especially the people of this world. You know, if, you, if you're reading through the Bible and you read the first two chapters of Genesis... There's a significant difference between those two chapters and chapter 4 of Genesis and following. There's something terrible that happens in Genesis chapter 3 that results in darkness in the world and enslavement and rebellion against the Creator and against His ways. Uh, let, me, let me read for us just a, a short statement uh, about that darkness that occurred. This is Genesis chapter 6. Uh, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He's speaking there about a, a darkness, a pervading evil that has come upon the earth. And you know the worst part of that darkness that we, that we come to see and to recognize as we go through Scripture is that the people were content with it. They liked it. They didn't recognize that it was true darkness. And, uh, and they want to continue in it. You know, in, uh, in John's Gospel, this is in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus, or, or the Word says this, John said, uh, said this, that this is the judgment that light has come into the world. So this is what he was speaking about. The light had come into the world. But he said that people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I wonder if you've ever recognized that. Do, do you look at the world around you uh, with that sort of lens? Do you understand that about the present world? You know, even though it is metaphorical, there are times and places where we can, we can see that literally uh, in physical darkness and physical light. Uh, many years back, uh, I made a trip. I was overseas, and I, I went to a place I'd always wanted to go. I, I thought about it as being a fascinating place. It was kind of a faraway world, a charming paradise. And it was Amsterdam. I don't know why I'd heard so much about it before that. But the one memory that survives uh, from that trip to Amsterdam was, was, was one night when I was walking uh, around and I came across this large area that I had heard about uh, before. It was called the Red Light District. And you know, that was the first time that I, I, I realized why it was called the Red Light District. Because literally, there were red lights uh, all over the place. There, 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 weren't, there wasn't any other light. It was only uh, this dim glow of red. And that's why we use uh, lenses at, red lenses at night to protect our vision because what does it do? It retains the darkness. And so in this area in Amsterdam, the darkness was retained. And what that meant was that people could go about without really being seen. You couldn't distinctly make out who was there and what they were doing. Uh, and later I would look back upon that and, and recognize well, that's because uh, the things that were being done there, many of them were of the darkness. Now me, when I was there, I was living a life in which I was of the darkness uh, as well. And, and you know, truth to be told, I didn't want light shined into my life because of what it would expose in my life. I wanted those things to be, to be hidden, to be kept out of sight. Uh, and that's the way it is with people that are in that condition, uh, not wanting light to come in, not wanting the things of their life to be exposed. And that is the nature of the world around us. As John said in, in John chapter 3, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, that's the, 
the backdrop for this passage that we're looking at this morning. It's a story of this healing by the Lord Jesus. Uh, but the reason that it's given to us here, I, I think right before Jesus is betrayed and arrested and, and, and falsely accused, given a trial, uh, uh, crucified upon the cross, is to show us what's needed in this world that's marked by darkness. Because we need to come into the light in order to have a recovering of our sight. And again, the story at the heart of Scripture, not only does that story talk about the darkness that has come upon the world, but again and again and again, it refers to this light that comes into the world. And, and we first get a sense of that in this story in, way back in, in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 3.15. It's just a, a glimpse at that point, but then it, it grows bigger. Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham and, and the family that was God's people. Uh, and so we begin to see it more and more as we go through the Old Testament that this light is coming into the world. And then in Luke chapter 1, we hear from, uh, from Zechariah. Uh, he says that this is the one who has come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You know, this passage that we're looking at this morning is all about this story and about the opening of our eyes so that we're able to see by that light. And we're given this story through uh, these two blind men. Look, look at how they responded to Jesus. Look down at verse uh, 33. Uh, Jesus had asked them the question very directly. He said, what do you want me to do for you? He required that they uh, called upon Him. Uh, and here's how they answered. They said, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And then we read after that, immediately they recovered their sight. You know, this story is being, being given to us by metaphor. Uh, but Jesus is using it to mirror that foundational truth that is given to us as this central message of the Word about the light that has come into the world to dispel this present darkness so that our eyes can be opened and so that we can live by the light of life. And this is something that we need to know and, yes, and be reminded of often. So I'd, I'd like for us to touch on three things that are needed in order to have this recovering of our sight. Uh, that we see in this passage. Number one, we need to, to know that we are blind. And that's to know that we are a part of this world and that we're living in this present darkness. We need to understand the darkness that's there. Secondly, we need to cry out in faith. And then finally, and very simply, we need to follow Christ. We need to follow Christ. So first of all, we need to know that we are, are blind. This is the first need. The first need that every single person here upon this earth needs to know. They need to know something about that darkness which has pervaded the entire world and which covers over our own hearts and the rest of the world. And then to have a longing, therefore, to escape from it. Uh, we're told here about this 
this crowd that's going along the road past Jericho toward Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho, if, you, if, if you've ever been there, you, you may know about uh, the, the lay of the land there. Jericho would have been uh, the last place, about 15 miles from Jerusalem, but it's pretty much all up from there. And as soon as you leave uh, Jericho, you begin up this, uh, this road that, that goes up and through a treacherous area. And so it was probably the last stop for supplies. And so as these people, uh, along with the Lord Jesus, were coming out of Jericho, there were these two blind men who were by the side of the road. Now they were probably there day after day after day uh, looking for handouts. Uh, we do hear in, in Mark's gospel and in, in Luke's gospel about this account. And there we're told... Only about one of the men, probably because he was well-known and the other one wasn't. In fact, Mark gives his name. It was Bartimaeus. But we're also told, and not surprisingly, that he was a, a beggar. And so you got these two blind men who are by the road, one of them Bartimaeus, uh, and they are beggars and they're blind. So they were in a, a, a sad state, completely reliant upon others for their living. And they hear that it's Jesus. This is why the crowd is, is there and so much of a commotion is being made. That it's Jesus who is passing by. And notice that this prompts from them something completely different. Uh, no longer are they looking for just a, a, a meal, a handout. They're not looking for... Uh, money to help them with shelter or with food. They're, they're not looking for something temporary. But all of a sudden, when they hear that it's Jesus, uh, it's clear that they know their condition. They know their misery. And they know that there's someone there who is able to provide healing from that misery, to bring light to their eyes. And they want it. You know, one of the, the, the things I've come to learn over time, because Amy used to work uh, with, for many years, with deaf community. She was a, a teacher of deaf. Is that within that community, uh, those who are deaf, for many, there's this strong mindset uh, to see themselves as not having a disability at all. Uh, instead, it, it's something that really marks their identity. Deafness is uh, as a part of that community, and, uh, and 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 therefore it's not looked upon well at all. Uh, in fact, people are outcast from the community if they try to do anything about if they're able to have a cochlear implant or something that help, helps them with with hearing, uh, and so they can be distanced. Because the, the mindset is, this is, this is not a, a disability. There's not a problem there. We are able to communicate. The community says, this is not a problem to be addressed. I, I imagine the same, I don't know for certain, but the same might be true uh, with many who are blind. But that's not the case with these men. These men know their blindness. They know that they've been living their lives in darkness. And they longed to have light and to be able to see and have their eyes open. And so it is that, that recognition and that desire that prompts them to call upon Jesus that He might help them in their time of need. And you know, this is really the spiritual need that we all have. 
uh, having lived our lives in darkness, if we come to recognize that darkness within our, our hearts, uh, the sin the, uh, the, that holds us back, that enslaves us and holds us down, an important question is, have we been brought to that point in our lives at some point uh, in which we recognize that we are those who have lived lives in darkness and so that we feel the misery of our sin and we long to be those who have eyes that are open so that we can see by the light of life. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. This is where Jesus is addressing the seven churches and he addresses the particular church uh, at Laodicea uh, and he's rebuking them. But listen to the reason that he rebukes them. Verse 17, Revelation 3. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing, notice, he's talking about blindness. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Remember in John's Gospel, they loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The same is true here in Laodicea. There was a, a contentedness there, kind of like I described with the, the deaf community, a contentedness, a, a desire to remain in the same way, no inclination to be healed and to come into the light and that is the state of hearts in this world. What a blessing it is when the Lord brings us to the place in which we're able to see our own condition, in which we know our own sin and we know our own misery and we want it to be changed and we want to be brought into the light. Now, this is a, it is a, a work that He and He alone is able to do. Remember the... The Westminster Shorter Confession uh, item that we looked at earlier on effectual calling. Uh, it said this, that it is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. The very first thing there is that we've got to know our condition. And we've got to have a desire for a change. And then, then, it brings us to the point of being able to embrace Jesus Christ. And so we need to look to Him for that, to make sure that we know our condition. But then, to embrace Christ. To cry out in faith. You know, from the time that each of us here have been really small, there are some here who are still pretty small, but they know this. And we, uh, every one of us here, have come to know this. Uh, we learn that any time that we have a hurt or we've got a pain, uh, that 
that we need to, to turn and cry out to the one that we know is able to take care of that pain and bind up the wound and address our need. For anyone here who's been a, a parent, you know that there's nothing more basic than this, right? Of a, a child turning and crying out for help to the one that they know uh, can help. And that's exactly what we see with these two men. Uh, there by the roadside, they cried out in earnest. Now, we don't know if, if the Lord Jesus couldn't hear them at first, or I, I think more likely if He held off on answering them so that their persistence would shine through. Uh, but they, they didn't receive a response, and so they continued to cry out uh, to Him. And, and the crowds that were there around Jesus, evidently they, they thought that uh, these two men weren't worth Jesus spending His time on, and so they, they were a distraction. So the crowd uh, told them to be quiet. They rebuked them. But the men couldn't be silenced. They continued to cry out all the more, it says. You can think about, you may remember a little bit further on when uh, Jesus is coming down into Jerusalem, uh, His triumphal entry, when the Pharisees heard His disciples crying out, and they demanded that Jesus quiet them. Remember what He said? He said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And that's the sense with these two men. And somehow, we're not told exactly how, but these two men knew exactly who they were crying out to. And so they cried out with faith. Look at what they, they called Him. First of all, they called Him Lord. Uh, that, that, that's a, a term of respect. Another word for that is, is Master. Uh, they were, in essence, putting themselves under Jesus. They were humbling themselves and, and submitting to Him. But then there's another title that they use for Him there. Son of David. Now, this is the title that made the Pharisees angry with Jesus because anytime someone used it, it would be blasphemy unless they were using it of the one Messiah, the, the long-awaited one who was to come. Uh, and probably the, the crowds, when they heard these men using this, they, they, they were probably shocked uh, and, and thought, well, who is this man, many of them? Uh, but they, they cried out and they said, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And they continued crying out. You know, this is our task in prayer. If we know who the Lord Jesus is, this is our task regularly in prayer. We must have a persistence and an intensity in our prayer, one that will not be silenced. No matter what the barriers are there, whether they be internal or external, if we are those who have known darkness, we've experienced it, we've lived it, no matter how short or how long, if we are those who have done things under the cover of darkness for much of our, our lives perhaps, or even for a short time, that we didn't want exposed to the light, and yet then we come to see the light, to see the Lord Jesus and who He is, and, and come to recognize our own hearts and where we are and our own condition. 
This needs to be the substance of our prayer frequently. And we need to be, be certain when we pray it, that we know who we're praying it to and that we're really praying to the Jesus of the Bible, uh, the Savior of sinners. You know, there are many who, who are in the church who pray to Jesus. Yet if you, if you really look or perhaps if they do the investigation and look at what they're really looking for, they're not looking to be taken out of darkness and into the light and, and light shone into their lives and uh, to have that sin dealt with, but they're looking for a completely different Savior. Listen to this. This is, uh, this is out of Acts chapter 26. This is the mandate that was given to the Apostle Paul when he went to the Gentiles. Uh, and he said this, this is what... He, he was told with the uh, Gentiles, he was sent to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Now, there are many reasons that we can come to the Lord Jesus. But if this isn't the reason that we call upon Him uh, to have our eyes open, that we may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And we're not calling upon Him in true faith because we're, we're calling upon another. We need to cry out in faith because only He is able to give this, which is the light of life. This is the light that we need. This freedom from darkness, this freedom from sin. And so if you know that you're blind, you need to cry out in faith. And then finally, you need to, and again, very simply, follow Him. Uh, this is an integral part of having your eyes opened. That there is a, a continuation, if you will. There's a, an abiding in Christ. You know, Jesus will say in, in John chapter 8, If you abide in My Word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the, the truth will set you free. That word abide means to remain, to continue, to follow, to cling on to. Uh, these men that were brought uh, by the Lord Jesus to have their eyes open. Let's look at that account. It's very brief. It's that last verse uh, in the account. It says, right after Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. It says, and Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. These men were brought from darkness into light. And so they responded by following him. We're, we're not told anything else about it. We don't see the history that's there, but it, but it seems as if it was just this natural response that they received sight from Him. They knew who He was. They had cried out to Him by faith, and then they simply followed Him on and on and on. You know, when we look at the spiritual context behind this, uh, it's clear that this is not an optional step. It is a response that will come 
uh, from a heart that's been changed, that's been healed of its spiritual blindness. You know, one of the places among many that we can see this uh, I'll just read a few words here, but is Ezekiel 36. This is pointing to uh, that new life that will come, uh, that change that will occur when Jesus comes. Uh, and and the, the, the prophet says, or, or the Lord says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice, this is the work of God done on the inside of a person. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. We, we can't see it on the outside. It's invisible outwardly, but it's a work that will proceed if this has taken place. And therefore, that person will follow. They will continue. Now, that may look in many different ways. That may initially look like a, a start forward and, and a, a backtracking uh, it may be that uh, they're, they're there at times, but not at times. Doubt may uh, come in in a, in a big way. But ultimately, this is the change that the Lord Jesus has brought about. And in those words that I read, I will put my spirit within you. It is a change that will continue, that this person will be caused to follow and to continue forward. Uh, you know, in, in one book that we turn to in the New Testament that, that shows this process so well, the book of Ephesians, this is what Paul says at one, one point. This is after he's kind of given the doctrine. This is what you must believe. Uh, uh, this is how you come to have that eyesight. Then this, therefore, is how you must live as you follow him day after day. And in, in chapter 5, uh, Paul says... For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then he says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Notice He's speaking about the ongoing work of following Christ. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now continue in that. You were blind, but now you can see. You know, earlier in our service, uh, we heard music the, the, uh, played Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind. But now I see. And as a result of seeing, what happens? Not optional. Because God has done that work inside. There is a following. There's a new desire there for holiness and abiding in His Word. Not, of course, in order to obtain merit. Because there is a pleasing, a seeking to please the Lord. Uh, but not out of earning it, but now simply out of a changed heart that has a different orientation toward the Lord and loves Him. You know, the, the problem that we face today in much of the church is there's so much of an emphasis on this outward profession of faith uh, that uh, there's a, a focus upon the experience of it all, that this step of following Christ is, is often just set aside altogether, or at best, uh, it may be seen as something that's, that's optional only for certain people. 
But that's not what God's Word says. Uh, and so we need to, to make sure that we're following Christ and that we see the results of that in our life, uh, that there is fruit that comes through it. Uh, it is effectual, remember. And if God does that work inside of us, there will be fruit that comes as a result of it. Remember that passage that we, we read out of uh, 1 John uh, 1, 6 uh, for our confession of sin. And we read these words, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, that's a person who is, is not following Christ. They're not clinging to Him. While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But remember the, the rest of it. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is living a life not perfectly because we sin, but living a life in which our heart is for the Lord, in which we are looking to Him and we are following him in which we, we, we seek to know and to understand and to have our, our eyes enlightened, the, the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may see all that God has provided for us, and that we may continue that walk, discouraged at times as we see our sin, but immediately looking to the Lord and recognizing that which He has done, that He's providing for this inside of us, that we might walk with Him. This is an integral part of having one's eyes open to see the light of life. And so I'll take us back to that one story that runs all the way through Scripture, that darkness has come into this world. And it's prevailing. It's over all. And yet, a great light has come into the world. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shown. And this is what we are called to do. Jesus said, I am the light. Come and follow me. He's provided for it and he calls us to it. Now we need to look to him and follow him. Please join me in prayer. Now, Father, we thank you for, for your word. Uh, we thank you that there's this great simplicity that's there. Yes, a great depth at the same time, but a great simplicity when it comes to that central message that runs all the way through Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that uh, You have provided for us that we might walk in Your ways, walk in the light uh, as He is in the light, and that we might continue forward in that way. Uh, we pray for Your help. Help us to recognize if we don't see that darkness, if we've never come to that point of seeing uh, darkness in our own hearts in the world around us, give us eyes to be able to see and then help us to desire uh, that which is light, to desire Christ. And if we know this, we pray that this will be a great comfort to us as we recognize the truth of the gospel, uh, that we have that light that lights our path ahead of us. And we will continue in that path by the promises of God. Uh, we pray this in His name. Amen.